I'm Erin. And I'm McKenna. And together we're the Daily Profcast. We're two long-distance besties who share a love of Harry Potter. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, this is McKenna and Erin using our time turner to come at you from the future. We just wanted to come on here and say that I had posted on the Instagram and we had said it on the description in episode one that uh, we were going to be addressing J.K. Rowling's problematic and transphobic tweets and rhetoric in episode two. In the editing process, we discovered that it wasn't until episode three that that news broke and then we recorded it. Since we already said we were going to address it in episode two, we decided to just come back here and re-record something to make sure that we talk about it when we said we were going to talk about it, even though chronologically that event didn't happen until right before we recorded episode three. So we just wanted to have a brief discussion about that and let everybody listening know exactly where we stand on this topic. On June 6, 2020, uh, J.K. Rowling retweeted an op-ed that talks about creating a more equal post-COVID world for people who menstruate. She responded and said in quotations, people who menstruate, I'm sure there is a word that is used for those people, someone help me out, obviously suggesting that they should have just come out and said creating a more equal post-COVID world for women because in J.K. Rowling's mind, women are equated to those who menstruate. Which is a roundabout way of excluding trans women who do not biologically menstruate from being women. J.K. Rowling is a repeat offender of this kind of transphobic rhetoric. And McKenna and I are white cisgender women. And we just wanted to make it clear that we do not support violent and problematic rhetoric towards people in the trans community. We don't support it here at the Daily Profcast. We don't support it for our business, but we also don't support that personally. We believe that there is power in womanhood, no matter how that's defined, if you menstruate, if you don't, no matter what sex you were assigned at birth. To be a woman is so much more than to menstruate, obviously. Unfortunately, after she got a lot of obvious backlash for this tweet that she sent out, she decided to follow it up with an essay that was very offensive. It was just plain offensive. What has been completely and utterly inspiring is the Harry Potter fandom uh, community response to this overwhelmingly has been pretty negative and pretty condemning of J.K. Rowling, despite the fact that she's the person who created this universe that we all love and like participate in as fans. And yet everyone was very quick to say like, no, we're not okay with this. Now, there are some people in the fandom, trans or not, who have said, look, this is the last straw. I can't possibly support, even though I love Harry Potter, I can't possibly support the universe and the fandom anymore just because it's too hurtful for me. And we totally understand and respect that. However, for McKenna and I, we're sort of of the opinion that the Harry Potter and the Harry Potter universe belongs to the fans. We own our own stake in this fandom now. And we don't need the author to be a part of it anymore for us. Yeah, Um, in our first couple episodes, Erin and I do name her by name often, but going forward, you know, at this time we're into our Chamber of Secrets series, we'll just be referring to her as the author and no longer associating JKR to the series specifically. 
we believe very strongly that the magic of Harry Potter is really in the diversity and the community of fans. If you're going to enjoy Harry Potter, you have to make it clear where you stand on what the author has said going forward. How can we reconcile that as we enjoy the art and the, the fandom and the universe? Harry Potter isn't a diverse cast of you know, characters in the books. There's a lot of problems. It's not like she wrote a perfect series and 20 years later she's, you know, pretty transphobic. There is a serious issue of diversity and inclusivity in the series. And Erin and I hope to point it out as we go and, and to keep having these conversations. This isn't a one-time thing for us. We're committed to making this fandom a safe and inclusive place for all. All of us should be able to feel you know, worthy and loved, no matter who you are, no matter what you, where you come from, no matter how you identify. And we're really big believers in that. So just to end this little segment before we hop into our episode, we just want to say that if you're out there and you've been hurt by the author of this series or anybody else, Aaron and I love you and we recognize you and we know you hold such great importance in this world and have so much to offer. And if we said anything wrong, call us out. Let us know. We want to know. Yeah, absolutely. We're teachable. <laughs> we would love to remind you at this point to pause this podcast and go online and check your voter registration and make sure you're registered to vote because this election in November, both locally, nationally, in your states and communities, it, it's important all around and you need to make sure you go out and vote so your voice is heard and that you're represented. Amen. And we're gonna leave a link to the US Census and go and make sure that your body is represented properly in the government and that you fill out your census. Yep. Awesome. Thank Good you talk. everyone. <laughs> Enjoy the episode. In the last episode we discussed Harry's journey from living with his muggle family, the Dursleys, to finding out he was a wizard and getting to shop his school list at Diagon Alley. What a glow up. <laughs> it is September 1st, 1991, and we are approaching the iconic part of the series and of every year where Harry takes the journey from Platform 9 and 3 quarters to Hogwarts, but this is his very first time and he has no idea what platform nine and three quarters even means, which like I would also be confused. Yeah. So Mr. and Mrs. Dursley drop Harry off at the station. He's just spent another month home, which... That's something we forget, especially with how they do it in the film. Seems like Harry and Hagrid go to Diagon Alley. It's July 1st, it's Harry's birthday, and then they go to King's Cross. And it's okay, start of term. You're like, wait a minute. I know. <laughs> There's another month that Harry has to spend with the Dursleys. But what's good about it now is now that they know that Harry knows who he is, they're terrified that he's going to do some voodoo magic on them if they punish him or are mean to him. They mostly leave him alone, which is nice. And, and Harry uh, conveniently does not tell them for quite some time that he is not allowed to be using magic at yes. home. But it just like further perpetrates this idea that I think Harry is like a little bit of a troublemaker. Totally. That's his James in him. Totally. I'm so in support of like finding the moments where Harry is like James, but yeah. So some fun facts here. J.K. Rowling 
picked King's Crosses Station because that's where her parents first met. Oh, that is a fun fact. Which, this is also where Harry's going to meet Ginny for the first time. Oh my gosh, that's right. I never even thought of that. That's a really good point. Which, to my utter dismay, for the next seven books, I am not a Harry Ginny stan. I love Harry Ginny. I love Ron and Hermione. Anybody who attacks Ron and Hermione's relationship, I will fight them. I guess you're fighting me because that is a relationship I cannot. Uh, No, that's your Slytherin coming out. It's not. It's my common sense as a human being looking objectively at a terrible coupling. But anyway. Okay, we can talk about that in Half-Blood Prince. There's no barrier between platforms 9 and 10 at King's Cross Station. Correct. And Joe is picturing Euston Station when she wrote the book, which Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means because I've never been to England, but apparently that's significant. When you go to King's Cross, when you go to London to take the fan picture, they have it just against this random wall before you get to the platforms between a pub and (laughs) next door is a Harry Potter merchandise shop, but it's this random brick wall that they've set up this half of a cart looking like it's going into the wall. It's still fun. But yeah, it is not in the traditional spot that it was portrayed in the lore. The Dursleys drop him off and he's like, platform nine and three quarters, this is odd. And what's really messed up here is that Petunia very likely knows how to get onto the platform because I'm sure she went with her parents to drop Lily off every year. And she's just like, good luck, kid. Peace out. We have to go to the surgeon to go get Dudley's tail removed. I'm sure there would be nothing that would make her happier than Harry not figuring it out and completely missing the train, which is, you're right, that is messed up. These just little Dursley-isms just always get me. Then Harry sees this little red-headed family coming and they're all talking about Hogwarts. They say muggle, packed with muggles of course. And And then (laughs) Mrs. Weasley says, now what's the platform number? Molly, you know what the platform number is. You've been to Hogwarts for seven years. You've dropped many children off. Maybe it wasn't so much as a, oh I forgot, as it was like a And what do we say when strangers try to talk to it? Like, trying to get them to say it and remember. I don't know. Yeah, that is That was so odd. That is odd. And this is the first time we see one of my favorite things, which is Fred and George messing with their mother. You're such a Fred and George. I do. They're my favorite. I love Fred and George. They're, yeah, they're so wholesome (laughs) in their own way. Again, so the twins recognize Harry by his scar, just further Mm -hmm. proving that Harry is so famous in this world yeah and they teach him how to run through the platform to get to nine and three quarters how to run through the brick this is the first time that we see harry be grafted into the weasley family as an adopted son and he does not know how important these people are going to like just how important these people are going to become to him so harry is going to go through some ups and downs with ron but his position in the weasley family is never going to change So they get through the portal. I guess that's a good word for it. Yeah. And on to the platform of the train. I just feel like all of these forthcoming scenes are just magical. Yeah. Just this like big steam train. Like all the firsts. It's Mm -hmm. all of, we are experiencing all of Harry's firsts with him. So going through platform nine and three quarters, getting on the train, arriving at Hogwarts, seeing the feet, like all of these are the firsts that we get to be with him for, which is. And 
Harry takes a seat on the train with Ron. And this is the start of a long friendship between the two of them. And honestly, I think what's so cute about this is Harry's probably very first friend. He has grown up in this miserable home situation. And Dudley has made sure his whole life that nobody at school becomes Harry's friend. And now, finally, Harry has struck out on his own. And this is his very first friend ever. I I have a little bit to talk about with both like Harry and Ron having this inferiority complex and like imposter syndrome going into Hogwarts. But that's a a common thing they both share. Ron already likes Harry because Harry's just this enigmatic person in the world already, in the wizarding world. And Ron's are immediately like, can I see your scar? Asking questions. And Harry is just delighted to have somebody who is interested in his life, I think. What I think is really interesting is that both Harry and Ron feel like the other has static. Yeah. Ron Ron comes from this very wizarding family where all the kids are pureblood witches and wizards and all of the kids went to Hogwarts and Ron has already heard all these stories and he's so ingrained into wizarding culture and he knows all these things. And to Harry, that is wonderful. And to Ron, Harry is the chosen one. He survived Voldemort and he is rich, which is going to come up in in this chapter because Mm -hmm. Ron doesn't have money to buy something off the trolley and Mm -hmm. Harry can buy everything off the trolley. Correct. And so they're both going to have this sort of thing that the other is craving. For Harry, it's like family and acceptance. And for Ron, it's status and money and just like a life that's a little bit above his own new school robes, new school books. And even though it's the thing that initially attracts them to each other, it's also going to be the thing that will tear them apart later and is going to be like the Achilles heel of their friendship. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other things I love about this chapter is the chocolate frog cards. Yep. Harry and Ron purchase all these treats off the trolley and one of them are these little chocolate frogs that come in these packages that have a famous witcher wizard inside of them and then the frog is animated you can eat it but it also will run off which is very cool and this is the first glimpse that harry gets of dumbledore dumbledore's card says he loves chamber music and bowling which is so cute this is the very first time we meet hermione granger yes my sweet hermione she is nervous i think when she introduces herself to the boys because it says she's talking fast yeah And I think Hermione is always trying to overcompensate. Absolutely. We can go back to the sort of imposter syndrome inferiority complex. Hermione was born from two muggle parents. She didn't know she was a witch until she got her Hogwarts letter. Hermione is painted as this annoying know-it-all in these first couple chapters. We're going to get to chapter 10 where she joins the trio rather than just Harry and Ron and then Hermione's off being annoying. But if I was a muggle-born witch and I was coming into this completely new world that I knew nothing about, I would feel the need to read everything about it that I could and then show people that I knew what I was talking about. Like her need to be a know-it-all, I completely understand that. I would probably do it too. I think her sort of know-it-all attitude, even though other people see it as a weakness in her, but this need and hunger for Hermione to know everything is Mm -hmm. going to save their butts more than once. And Hermione is going to become a huge resource to them and to really Mm. the entire wizarding community. Yeah. 
and that's going to last well into her adult life. And what's really yeah. interesting is two characters who I see a lot of similarities in is Snape and Hermione, because I think they were both outcast kids who took that like feeling of inferiority and totally shoved it into learning as much as they possibly could. And there's that's always a good parallel. There's always this talk that Hermione's the brightest in the class of students, and that's mm -hmm. often also said of Snape, that he was yeah. the most excelled. He could do magic at a fifth-year level in his first year, and she's yeah. very similar because she really devotes herself to learning. When we look later in the series, and we do get to see more of Snape's history, especially in relation to James Potter, their first interaction is also on the train. Their animosity towards each other is cemented by their interaction on their first train to Hogwarts because they're arguing over which house is best. James, from then on, they decide that they hate each other. That could have been the case for Ron and Harry and Hermione. They could have, from here on out, been like, and they almost were until Halloween night. They're like, oh my God, that girl is so annoying. And I just think it's so funny because I'm like screaming in my head, Ron Weasley, this is your wife. You are going to marry this girl. And he's like, she's so annoying. And it's not the last time he's going to think that. No, even when, they, even when they start being really good friends. So they get off the train and Hagrid is there to greet them. And they get on the boats and they travel up to the castle. Can you just imagine being Harry or even Hermione and just being welcomed into this world and then seeing Hogwarts Castle for the very first time? When I see it visually in the movies, it makes me cry every time. Yeah, yeah. That train ride, but then the boat ride and all these little kids and how grand and big everything feels. Yeah. For most of them, but I have to imagine probably Draco has been to Hogwarts before. Ron might have even been to Hogwarts before if he came with his parents to watch a Quidditch match or something like that. So I think for some mm -hmm. people, it's their first time. And for some people, Hogwarts might already feel very much like home or a home That's away true. from home. So, That's true. but for Harry, this is amazing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They're immediately greeted by Professor McGonagall, who the last time. Queen. Professor McGonagall saw Harry. He was just a wee little baby. There's so many characters in this that just know Harry because they knew Lily and James, but we don't find that out till later. Who I just imagine seeing him for the first time and having to run away into their office and cry a little bit or something. These unspoken feelings about Harry that we don't see from these adults in his life who do become very fond of him. Of course, Harry's the central figure in all of this, but I think that there has to probably be a lot of children are a good handful of children whose parents fought in the Wizarding War, and maybe one or both of their parents didn't make it, or yeah. in the case of the Longbottoms, yeah. ended up in an insane asylum, essentially. Yeah. That has to be emotional for people who were close friends with their parents and went through this very intimate yeah. experience. Or like you get people on the other side of things who you're like Draco Malfoy walks in and McGonagall's you're a freaking Death Eater. <laughs> like your dad was a Death Eater and he got off because he said they used the Imperius curse on him. But uh, but yeah, I have some thoughts about student numbers and uh, in relation to the Wizarding War in chapter seven. Hit, hit me with them. Okay, so we go into the Great Hall, we get the sorting ceremony. Um, we're in chapter seven now. We meet the Hogwarts ghosts for the first time, which is so fun and cool. And then we get to the Great Hall, Harry's seeing all this amazing stuff for the first time. The candles, all the tables, the, the big hourglasses with the house points. Again, we never see those again, really. Harry thinks he's going to walk up 
put the sorting hat on and the sorting hats stand there silent and not sort him and he's like gonna have they're gonna have to send him home he's like worried that this has all been one big you know dream or there's no way that he could be away we get a glimpse of his imposter syndrome anyway all that to say he gets sorted into Gryffindor and I took down all the names of all the students that we in the book see get sorted so into Hufflepuff we get Hannah Abbott, Susan Bones, Justin Finch-Flinchley, and uh, we don't meet him till book two, but we will also get Ernie McMillan. He's actually not mentioned yet. Ravenclaw, Terry Boot, Mandy Brocklehurst, Morag McDougal. I don't know if she mentions Padma Patil, but Padma Patil, Pavardi's twin, is actually a Ravenclaw in the books. That's something I completely forgot about because in, in the movies, she's a, a Gryffindor. And then Lisa Turpin. Gryffindor, we get the most amount of students that we see get sorted into this house. We get Lavender Brown, Seamus Finnegan, Hermione Granger, Neville Longbottom, Pavardi Patil, Harry Potter, Dean Thomas, and Ron Weasley. And then in Slytherin, we see sorted Millicent Bulstrode, Draco Malfoy, Theodore Knott, Crab Goyle, Pansy Parkinson, and Blaze Zabini. That's 23 kids sorted. That doesn't mean there's not more first years. Those are just the only people we see the, the hat shout us out for. But I did some research about this. I was like, Okay, first of all, we only hear about three Hufflepuffs getting sorted. There are definitely more Hufflepuff first years in this year. There are definitely more Ravenclaws. So I did a little research on this. I was like, how many students theoretically are there in this year? And then how many students are theoretically at Hogwarts? Like the greater class numbers at Hogwarts. J.K. Rowling was asked by a student how many kids are at Hogwarts. And she said, there are about a thousand students at Hogwarts. Okay, so if you break that math down, that would mean if you're splitting that up equally, there are about 250 students per house, okay, which would put about 36 students per year per house. If we look at that in, in terms of Gryffindor, in Harry's first year class, that would put like about 18 boys in Gryffindor house. But we never hear about anybody other than Ron Dean Neville, Seamus, and Harry. We only hear about those five boys. That doesn't mean there aren't others, but it would be odd that we never met them. So that right. number seems a little bit, not only that, if you look at class size, like when they say, oh, we have double potions with the Slytherins, that would be like if there's 36 Gryffindors and 36 Slytherins in that year, that class of 70 kids. That seems ridiculous. We can't take everything in the movie for canon, but the math from the movie, if you look at the Great Hall scenes, like if you pause your movie during the Great Hall scene, somebody counted, at each table there are about 70 people. So let's say there are 70 people per house instead, which would put 10 per year per house, and that's in 280 total students at Hogwarts. And that lines up a little bit closer to at least the people we meet in the book. So if there are 10 new students per year per house, that would be the five boys in Gryffindor that we meet, Seamus, Ron, Harry, Dean, and Neville. Right. Um, that math lines up a little bit more, and it makes the class sizes a little more manageable. So like a class with all the Gryffindor students in the first year, or a class with double potions with the Slytherins would have 20 kids. And then if you had a class with everybody, let's say Transfiguration was in the lecture hall or whatever, that would be like 40 kids. J.K. Rowling amended this her statement about a thousand students she said math wasn't her thing and changed her idea to about 600 students which makes it a little bigger than the movie numbers but we also have to take into consideration that maybe in harry's year and maybe the year before and the year after 
they might have lower numbers because of the people that were killed during the first wizarding war. When Harry's in the third year, maybe, the students coming in in first year might be like the wizard baby boom. And there Got might it. have been more students after that. But yeah, that's my, that was my numbers research. JK later uh, published a thing with the original 40 with her like original notebooks where she was doodling about Harry Potter with the original 40 names she came up with for students, which would mean, and that's sorted into all the houses. So like 40 people sorted into four houses, that would be closer to 10 per house per year number, putting the total student body at 280. That's that. I commend you for going through all of that. Bit of a tangent, but I was curious. Yeah, it is interesting how little people we we know compared to the entire class size. Yeah. But I suppose we're really just following the storyline of That's true. a particular group of friends. Yep. That's true. The sorting hat was the hat of Godric Gryffindor, which would make it around a thousand years old. Looks pretty good for a thousand years old. Yep. Yeah. He got a nice facelift. And it would be really interesting if you could have a conversation with the Sorting Hat and get its perspective on Hogwarts history as an observer on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> because obviously it has a mind. The first years go up, as Professor McGonagall calls them, to be sorted. And Harry's biggest fear is that he's going to be sorted into Slytherin. Yep. And I have some thoughts and opinions. Go ahead, Miss Slytherin. I love the element of having the houses. I love what it adds to the story overall. And obviously it's a really big part of the story that there's these four houses and the founders of Hogwarts and how all that went down. But I also hate the boxes that it puts these students into. I agree. So maybe we can just talk a little bit about each of the houses. Mm -hmm. So Slytherin, which is my house, is known for cunning sort of students. But the greater impression of Slytherin is that they're evil, maybe don't have the strongest moral compass, they can be manipulative, but we do also hear that the Slytherins stick together. They have a very strong sense of community among them, but Mm -hmm. there's this terrible idea that everybody who goes into Slytherin is going to be evil. And I would just like to shove Horace Slughorn in your general direction. <laughs> who is probably like the nicest little old man that has ever lived and who was in Slytherin house for a long time. Yeah, I agree with you. The boxes that we get to putting students in with these houses is something that is pretty big in the first couple books. But later in the series, like she builds in people that are exceptions to that rule. Horace Slughorn is an example. Another famous one is Peter Pettigrew, one of the worst people in the series, total coward was a Gryffindor. Slytherins have a high desire for fame, wealth. Mm, They want to be ambition. They want to be recognized in society. Yeah. Harry could be sorted as either is because at the end of the day, there's a very fine line between the two houses. And that's why Godric Gryffindor and Salazar Slytherin were in conflict all the time because they were pretty similar, actually. It's a shade of gray that separates the two. Yeah, so Gryffindor House, Gryffindor, the the big slogan is Gryffindors are known for being brave and courageous and unafraid of danger and just courageous is the overall sort of thing and loyal, although loyalty is Hufflepuff shtick. Unfortunately, Um, like these first years are given this impression that whatever house they're sorted in is basically what they have to live up to. As a 10-year-old, I would think the same thing, or 11-year-old, excuse me. I would think the same thing. I was like, oh, I guess I'm brave now. Then we have 
Ravenclaw, who is known for their intelligence and their logic, which is also interesting to me because Luna Lovegood, who we're not going to meet for a really long time, is a Ravenclaw. Yeah. And Luna is probably one of the least logical people ever. Who else is a Ravenclaw? Gilderoy Lockhart. Exactly. (laughs) They don't say what kind of intelligence. Like, there are multiple intelligences. You can be book smart. Like, Gilderoy Lockhart was certainly not book smart. He was not a very skilled wizard at all. But he knows how to manipulate people. Luna, I would say, is very emotionally intelligent. She's got, she's wise beyond her years as far as the stuff of feelings and emotions. Harry goes to her in book five and she's like explaining how she had to watch her mother die. And, but she says all these super wise things about how it made her the person she is. And so I, I would say Luna's intelligence comes from her emotional intelligence. And we don't know that she doesn't get like amazing marks in school. And then Hufflepuff. What is a Hufflepuff? What the hell is a Hufflepuff? <laughs> to quote a very Potter musical. Yeah, if we're confused about Ravenclaw's mascot being the eagle, like how can you even draw a parallel between the word Hufflepuff and a badger? So the Hufflepuff's mascot is a badger. Its founder was Helga Hufflepuff, which Mm -hmm. we should have said the founder of Ravenclaw was Rowena Ravenclaw, Ravenclaw. Gryffindor, Godric Gryffindor, and Slytherin, Salazar Salazar. Slytherin. The original founders of Hogwarts. The Hufflepuffs are just and loyal. They're patient. They're honest. And the sorting hat says, unafraid of toil. Yeah. So I would, and I would say... I like to say that my cusp house is Hufflepuff. The reason I'm a Gryffindor is that I'm probably a Hufflepuff with no filter. That's probably why I'm a Gryffindor. A Ravenclaw could easily be a Slytherin if you added ambition into the smarts. You know what I mean? I'm definitely a Slytherclaw. Yeah, I'm a Gryffindor for sure. I could go either way, but I personally identify more with Slytherin. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm obviously morally ambiguous. Just kidding. Some notable members of Hufflepuff are Newt Scamander, who is the protagonist of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Professor Sprout, who's their head of house, Nymphadora Tonks. Love her. And Cedric Diggory. Correct. And we get some others here and there, but those are probably the most notable that people would recognize. So those are the houses. The Sorting Hat, Harry is completely petrified, and yeah. he does not want to be Slytherin. Yeah. And so they put the hat on him, and he's not Slytherin, not Slytherin. And, and the hat's like, not Slytherin, eh? Like, way to blow up his spot. No, but like, in the movie, it seems like the hat outs him like that. But I think in the book, it says, like, only the person with the hat on can hear the hat's voice. It's also interesting to think about... We know that Harry and Voldemort have this undeniable connection, and we've seen glimpses of it. Harry is a parcel mouth, and now he could have very possibly been put into Slytherin, which is Mm -hmm. Voldemort's house. And so it's very interesting, the connection between them. And that's something that he wrestles with in, in book two. So chapter eight is an introduction to their class schedule and all the classes they take and all the professors. We meet Professor Binns, who we never meet in the films, who is so funny. He's a ghost. He's their only ghost professor. They just never show him in the movies. I love Bins. And what's funny about Bins is they say that he just died teaching. Yeah, just- they, yeah. We also meet Filch for the first time. Filch is just like a funny, quirky person in the series. I think my favorite part of this whole chapter, this is probably going to be different than your favorite part because it doesn't contain Snape, but my favorite part of this whole chapter is the first morning of classes. Everybody's getting mail from an owl. And Harry is sitting there knowing that he will not get any mail because nobody is going to send him any. And sweet Hagrid 
sends him a note asking him to tea that afternoon. He could have just come up and asked Harry to come to tea, but instead Hagrid knows that he's not going to get a letter and Hagrid goes out of his way to make Harry feel loved and cared for. Hagrid, Hagrid is like rereading these books. I'm like, why isn't Hagrid my favorite character? Hagrid is now my second favorite character to Remus. He's just the best. He's just thoughtful. He's just a thoughtful man. Giant. Man giant. But the most color we get in this chapter concerning classes is about Snape. It's just obvious from the start that Snape just immediately does not like Harry and is going to do almost everything in his power and take a particular pleasure of humiliating Harry. Yeah. And how little he knows about the magical world. Yeah. That's the thing where I'm like, okay, I understand where this is coming from, but this kid's 11. Get over yourself. If you're a grown adult and you're like (laughs) taking your microaggressions out on this child. Yeah. Yeah. And that's problematic. This is abusive. But I think like in a lot of ways, Snape, this kills me to say about him because I love him, but I think he lacks a lot of emotional intelligence. Yeah. And that would make sense considering his upbringing. I think he, we don't know a ton of canon about his upbringing, Mm -hmm. but the suggestion is that his mother was a witch, his father was a muggle, and that his mother might have not told her husband that she was a witch until after the marriage, or maybe even when Snape was first exhibiting signs of Mm -hmm. also being a wizard, Mm -hmm. and that his dad was very abusive to his mom. And we see in flashbacks and later episodes that Snape is going to have of his dad yelling at his mom. And it's just likely not a very happy upbringing. Yeah. And Hogwarts was something he probably looked forward to for a long time. Yeah. And then it was nothing like maybe what he expected it to be. Because he was tormented by By Harry's father. I get it. I know where it's coming from, but you're still like, dude. I I just think in a lot of ways he's stuck in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So he gives Harry this quiz to humiliate him. And Harry knows nothing. Harry just automatically is, that guy sucks. He's out to get me. Probably evil. Harry and Ron, after class, head out to Hagrid's hut. Where they tell him all about their first week. And what I love is Hagrid is constantly trying to tell Harry and Ron, Snape's a professor. Then they realize that they see a cutting of the Daily Prophet where there was a break-in at Gringotts, where Harry had been not a month earlier with Hagrid and the break-in was at the very same vault that Hagrid withdrew from when they went. It's interesting how their minds start to spiral. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. They're very, they're very much sleuths. But at the same time, at least for Harry, he has a perspective of like how the wizarding world works and based on his what he knows of his background and how he came to be alive after he was attacked by the greatest dark wizard of all time. So he has a different perspective when he sees something sketchy and dark going down. And then Hermione's brilliant. So she helps him connect dots and does research for them. And then Ron is there. (laughs) No, Ron is super helpful. Ron, like Ron is like a very supportive friend and helps people say Ron's dumb, but I don't think Ron's dumb. Harry's going to have flying lessons with Madam Hooch. Madam Hooch, thank you. Who we like never really see again in the movies. Yeah, which is such a shame. That is a shame. She's cool. She's such a great character. Neville's Gran has given him a remembral, which is supposed to turn red if he's forgotten something. What a pointless device. 
and this is like one of the first times we hear about Neville's gran. Yeah. And I can't tell if I would be terrified of her or absolutely love her. Yeah, yeah, probably both. Malfoy snatches it and throws it up like typical Draco. So Harry goes after the remembral Mm -hmm. and it just breaking the rule of Madame Hooch, who as she rushes to take Neville to the infirmary, tells them like, you better all keep your brooms on the ground. And Harry takes off. And it shows that he has a natural aptitude for flying, which is another James-ism of him. Totally. And And he's finally found the thing that he's like actually super good at in the wizarding world. Because he's in classes, everything's totally confusing at first. And he's like, what's a potion? And then he gets on a broom. We're going to see Harry's natural ability to fly throughout the entire book series. It's always going to come up time and time again. And McGonagall sees Harry flying and... Harry thinks he's going to be punished and thrown out of school. And she instead gets him on the Quidditch team. As the youngest seeker in a century. Morally ambiguous thing to do. For all McGonagall knows, when she comes down to the field and she sees that Hooch isn't, Madam Hooch isn't there, maybe she's like, uh, maybe that was sketchy. But all she sees is him flying from her window. For all she knows, Madam Hooch could have been like, uh, catch. And Harry runs to go catch a thing. And all she sees is him do this amazing catch of the remember all Seekers are not supposed to be on the quidditch team no they're not like, and they just want to whip slytherin's butt this year everybody does all the other houses want to kick slytherin's but could you imagine being the other 11 year olds or like somebody like ron weasley who comes from a quidditch family yeah and that probably fuels a lot of ron's jealousy later on and other kids have to think well, he's the chosen one and he just keeps getting chosen and I can imagine being 11 and being so pissed off about that. That's very Slytherin of you. But it's not fair. It, no, it's it fair. rules. You're right. And You're it right. wasn't like Professor Sprout, like an objective observer. It was very Gryffindor house. Yeah. And yeah. McGonagall is so straight and narrow that this deviance for her mm-hmm. is just very interesting to me because she really rewards him for doing something that is bad. And then rewards him again by allowing him to break like this blanketed rule so that her house can win. It, That's it's, fair. That's a fair it, assessment. A long tangent aside. Yeah. Harry is on the Quidditch team. Yay. And then Malfoy challenges them to a midnight duel, but as a farce just to get them expelled. Like he never shows up. Yeah. Which is just an example of like, Draco has some serious cowardice issues. Oh, yeah, definitely. I completely forgot. And this is the moment where Harry and Ron, so in the books, it's, or in the films, it's different. In the films, they are, they just happen to wander into the third floor corridor that is forbidden. We didn't mention that earlier in chapter seven. The third floor corridor is forbidden, and Dumbledore's, nobody should go in there unless you want to die. Everyone's, uh, is this a school? I'm sorry, what? And so they, in the films, they just wander into this corridor and they're running away from Mrs. North and they happen upon Fluffy. But in the books, they are taking on Draco's challenge. They go to find him, he's not there. Not only does Hermione follow them, but Neville is with them. Neville right. got caught outside the common room and couldn't forgot the password and was like sleeping outside the common room and follows them. I had completely forgotten that Neville was on was with them for this little adventure. And it makes me wonder, could Neville have been the fourth musketeer? Incredible. <laughs> so safe for children. There's no safer place 
<laughs> than Hogwarts. That's maybe Gringotts, of course. They're constantly putting their lives at extreme risk in Hogwarts. Don't go into the third floor. Don't go into the massive forest behind the school. Try not to open doors that shouldn't belong. By the way, the staircases move. You're going to be really safe here. Have a great school year. By the way, there might be a monster under the school that kills Muggleborns. Also, Voldemort's here. <laughs> Hogwarts, not the safest place for your children. Not the most, no. Let's talk about Halloween at Hogwarts. Oh my gosh. Reading this chapter, the way she described everything, I'm just like, it's one of those chapters where you feel, this is chapter 10, by the way, Halloween. It's just, you feel like you're there. The smell of pumpkin and the warm glow of the jack-o'-lanterns. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can smell it. Like, I'm, I feel like I'm there. <laughs> they start off the chapter being like, Harry and Ron had a fabulous time on their little adventure running into Fluffy. And we're looking for another opportunity to have an adventure like that, which I just think is so funny. They're such the little marauders. They're yes. just mortified that they got themselves into this mess. And Harry and Juan were like, that was so fun. I also, I don't want to harp on my point too much, but at the beginning yeah. of this chapter at breakfast, McGonagall sends Harry a Nimbus 2000, which is arguably a very nice broom. Yeah. Do we think it's appropriate for teachers to be giving students expensive gifts? No, that's, yeah, that's also another good exhibit B to your point. Um, anyway, so, so, so she gives Harry yeah. a broom. Harry goes and talks with Wood and gets the rundown of Quidditch. Yeah. Which, like, makes no sense, but I love it. And there's a great Halloween feast, but Hermione's gone. Because earlier in the chapter, she overheard Ron say something totally mean about her, and she's crying in the girls' bathroom. Exactly. Because, and it goes back to her thing of, she's done all this reading and research, just prove herself in this world that she feels like she is an outsider in. And then she overhears Ron talking about how annoying she is and it's just further outcasting her and like how hurtful it's because he feels threatened by her intellect so um, there's a quirrell runs into the dining hall announces that there's a troll troll once again ron and harry are like okay we're supposed to go back to the common room but we're gonna go look for hermione and breaking rules for a noble cause well-being yeah exactly the three of them take on a full-grown mountain troll with a, a wand up the nose yep. and very primitive magic skills. And Ron's very well-placed Wingardium Leviosa spell. Yes. They beat the troll. The teachers are flabbergasted. They somehow beat the teachers to the troll. Like, oh. the teachers run off to go have a meeting about this while Harry and Ron are taking on the troll. What a fast-moving troll to yeah. make it up the stairs with no damage and into the girls' bathroom. And why yeah. the girls' bathroom? Could it be that Coral told the professors the troll was in the dungeon, but he really let him in somewhere else? To troll was always supposed to be a distraction, right? Yeah. So why not lead the teachers to the wrong place so that they have to go look for it? Yeah, maybe. I guess yeah. so. I hadn't thought of that till just now. But also they see Snape with a torn pant leg and like blood all over him. And they're like, that's interesting. Another important thing that happens is the teachers come in and Hermione takes the heat for this incident because they came to save her. This is what really solidifies Hermione, a part of the friend group where it is no longer just Harry and Ron and now it's the trio. It's Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Something interesting to think about here is if Hermione had died in that bathroom, 
she would be very similar to Moaning Myrtle. Jeez. Do we think she would oh have just gosh. hung out there forever? I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> Telling people who come in to pee about, like, history of magic facts. Oh, history, Hermione, and Moaning Myrtle. Can you imagine? What That's a vibe. History. Then we get to the first Quidditch game. Chapter 11, Quidditch. Harry has his very first ever Quidditch game. So the Gryffindor Quidditch team this year, and actually what's cool is this same team transfers over to next year in Chamber of Secrets. There are three chasers. It is Angelina Johnson, Katie Bell, and Alicia Spinett, which we love. We love a co-ed team. The beaters are the Weasley twins. The keeper is Oliver Wood, and then Harry is the new seeker. And they say like the starting lineup, so maybe there are some extra players, but that is the starting lineup for the Gryffindor team. We also get Lee Jordan as the commentator. I love Lee Jordan. I wish there was more Lee Jordan in this. He's hilarious. How are we letting 11-year-olds play this game? It's dangerous, and it's cold. It's definitely November at this point. It's freezing. It's dangerous. Harry's never played it before. The idea of the golden snitch was not originally built into the game of Quidditch, which comes from many made-up, like, Celtic broom games that J.K. Rowling has like made up. It comes from the Scottish game of this and the Irish Celtic game of this. But the snitch was not originally built into the game. The snitch came from, in according to the lore, in 1269 in a game in Kent, the chief of the wizarding council decided to add a fun thing to the game. And he had this golden bird that's called a snidget. And he said, whoever catches this snidget, like during the game, will get a hundred 150 galleons, which was a lot of money. And so they began using golden snidgets as a part of the game. The bird went near extinct because they would have to catch and kill the bird, which is inhumane. And then because they were going near extinct, the Wizarding Council decided to make them like a protected species. So then later a um, metal worker whose name is escaping me decided to make a sort of like substitute for the snidget, which was then named the golden snitch. And it's a really fast little ball and it flies around. Anyway, that's a fun fact about the snitch that Harry is trying to go after. What an incredible game. Because what is the point? <laughs> so that's what I was wondering too, because it's like you play this whole game and then the game, but the game doesn't end until, it's not like it's a two, like most sports, it's like you have two hours and whoever sp- scores the most points in two hours wins the game. And then if there's a tie, you have overtime. Quidditch does, the game does not end until the snitch is caught. Longest recorded game of all time was six months long. That's insane. But I was like, if the point is only for the seeker to catch the snitch, then why do we have keepers and beaters and all that? But what I didn't, what I just actually came to the realization of is the game ends when the snitch is caught, but still the team with the most points wins. Harry's broom starts bucking him off. And Ron and Hermione see Snape muttering curses. So they think that he is trying to buck Harry off his broom and kill him or injure him. And I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember if when I was reading this, if I was like for sure on board with the fact that like Snape was definitely the antagonist. Hermione does a thing that again, we miss in the films where she conjures her bluebell flames, her Mm -hmm. like waterproof blue fire which is so cool that she can do that she like has that as a little skill she sets snape's cloak on fire which distracts those around him one of which is professor quirrell yeah gain control of his broom and he catches his snitch in his mouth yep which is important for later exactly for later because snitches have flesh memory yes he didn't catch it he nearly swallowed it flint was still howling 20 minutes later yeah. And movie, he does swallow it because I yeah. think he's like throwing it up on the field. Yeah, yeah, he like gags it up. Yeah. Gross. 
Yeah. Gross. Wouldn't want to touch that baby. No. Anyway. But yeah, so he gets his, he catches his snitch. Later, they're having tea in Hagrid's hut. And they again to Hagrid are like, listen, Snape's a bad apple. (laughs) Hagrid says, if Dumbledore trusts Snape, then I do. Yeah. Like, I trust Dumbledore, therefore I trust Snape. And not only that, Hagrid, sweet Hagrid, who is not very good at keeping information to himself, says, you, f- you forget that dog and you forget what it's guarding. That's between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flo. Oh, okay. And the kids go, aha! So it's Nicholas Flull who's like in cahoots with everything. It's and serious. Hagrid also tells him that he's bought Fluffy off of a Greek chap. Like a fun fact here, that's fitting because Fluffy's based on Cerberus, mm. which is a mm. Greek mythology. I love that. Shout yeah. out to the Greeks. Yeah. And, and that concludes chapter 11. Thanks for listening to our latest episode. As always, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're not a listener on Apple Podcasts, it would still help us out a lot if you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. If you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything you heard in this episode today, please drop us a line at our Anchor profile. You can leave us a nifty little voice message there, or you can head to our Instagram at the Daily Profcast to DM us or leave us an email. Thank you.